Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Hikara. And uh, you're listening to the fourth, or no, sorry, fifth episode of the podcast this week. And uh, so we've made it past our, our first month, and we're into month number two, basically. And um, this one's a big one. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had Mike Hill on for Dreams of the Witch House, doing the Eldritch Tales. And uh, this week, we're inaugurating another thing that will probably, which will be a uh, returning kind of idea of walking through some, uh, some um, through horror movies. Uh, and in particular, I'm going to be doing a kind of series of horror movie um, franchises that I like. Uh, this one, this week, I am joined by Brandon Legion from the Horror Wolf 666 podcast, which is one of the podcasts I tell y'all to listen to every week. And uh, he's joining me to talk about Hellraiser. I knew that Brandon was a big fan of uh, Clyde Barker and Hellraiser, and uh, I thought that it would be great to have him on this week. And uh, I haven't come up with a name uh, for like a recurring kind of horror episode. Uh, maybe I will in the future. I, I just haven't really put that together this, uh, as of this moment. But in the future, my friend Mike Purdy is going to be joining me to talk about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and... Uh, I'll probably have him join me for Friday Thirteenth and uh, Halloween as well. So those will be coming up. We're gonna he and I are gonna do kind of a, a slasher a slasher series over you know a few months. But um, that's gonna be coming in October. October itself is gonna be pretty much entirely dedicated to horror. I decided, so to look forward to that. Um, uh, we should have Nightmare on Elm Street, and then I think I'm going to do an episode about Universal horror movies, uh, because those are the first ones that I fell in love with when I was a wee little child. But yeah, so Brandon joined me this week for Hellraiser, and uh, getting prepared for this episode and rewatching all the the first four Hellraiser movies, because that's mostly what we're covering tonight. Uh, just like reignited my love for Hellraiser and Clive Barker. I just remembered how much I fucking love his work and uh, the whole world they created with Hellraiser. So uh, real excited for you guys to listen. Um, go pretty in depth. It's a pretty long episode. So uh, before we get into that, uh, I will we'll be playing a song from uh, Brandon Legion's old band, uh, Tripping the Mechanism. And the song is from his album Dead Letters, and the song is called Serpent's Tongue. So that's what's gonna uh, we're gonna play before the um, the actual uh, uh, episode starts. And uh, before we get into it, I also want to shout out to our uh, podcast brothers, uh, particular Mike Hill with um, Everything Went Black comes out on Wednesdays and. Uh, um, Necromaniacs, which comes out on Thursdays. Definitely go and listen to both of those. Uh, and then we also want to shout out um, Into the Necrosphere. Brother Jackie Smith comes out on Tuesdays. Definitely the best metal, extreme metal podcast out there, hands down. And uh, 
I'd also like to shout out to Cheyenne from Trivax for his podcast, Eyeless Manifestations, which comes out at irregular times. But uh, definitely give all those guys a listen, uh, you know, and uh, get support everybody. And, uh, you know, I think um, it's great to have this kind of, like, network uh, build up of uh, great podcasts, particularly covering horror metal and the occult uh so yeah we're gonna get into the episode now like i said this now the song that's gonna play before this is brandon legion's old band tripping the mechanism uh with serpent's tongue thank you for listening hail satan
Recording in progress. All right. Yeah. Uh, again, like I want to say thank you, Brandon, for coming on. The um talking some about some tonight we're talking about some Hellraiser. And uh I wanted to I kind of wanted to kick this off with um with uh what what was the first time that you saw Hellraiser? Like when did you first become aware of like you know Pinhead and and like and this whole thing and then saw the movies? Oh wow man, that started off really early. Um I thank my aunt and my grandma for that. Um shit, I was watching Hellraiser when I was like easily five, six years old, and, like <laughs> as, as far back as I can remember. I, I remember yeah. Hellraiser because I remember Pinhead just fucking destroying my dreams back when I was a kid. Yeah, I I, I was the same way. I'm uh, I think the first time I saw I think I'd probably seen Pinhead like uh, on you know the video boxes and i see him ever seeing masks of him and stuff and i think the first time i actually saw the movie i was probably like six or seven uh my stepbrother and i rented hellraiser three so hell mm-hmm. on earth and uh, right. and i remember watching that like uh i distinctly remember uh watching it and what particularly the part with the um where the guy's like having sex with a woman on the bed and then and then um she gets eaten and everything and pinhead's there you know oh yeah that's a killer scene yeah yeah and so like i i really like so i have pretty distinct memories of seeing that one and then i i think i saw hellraiser one not like it's probably still like pretty young like eight or something and i mean i started reading clive barker pretty young like not too long after that, I started actually like reading Clive Barker's books and, and stuff like it's probably <laughs> looking back. I'm like, when I go back and reread like books of blood, I'm like, I like, I mean, I was like, I was probably like 10 years old reading those books. <laughs> I'm thinking, man. <laughs> yeah, I didn't start off that early with Barker um, when it comes to reading his work. I think I started reading Barker when I was around like 16 or 17, maybe a little bit later in that. And, uh, the first book that got me in the Barker's work was a great and secret show and it's one of my favorite books of all time man it's so fucking good and then you know that turned into Everville which was the sequel to that one and um I don't I'm trying to think if there's a third one if so if I've read it or not I don't think the third one ever came out there's supposed to be a trilogy if there was I'm not 100% sure on that is Everville uh is that continuation of great and secret show yeah yeah and it goes uh also goes like back before all that stuff happened and it um, talks like it gives more to stories, more of like a prequel almost. And it kind of flashes back to, you know, some things afterwards and stuff like that. But it's really killer. Well, I guess I guess like um, uh, I mean, I haven't finished. Yeah, I start, started reading with Scarlet Gospels kind of. I mean, it's, it has Harry Damore, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I yeah. like uh, Scott Bakula, how he played him in, um, you know, in a. Uh, Lord Somebody, yeah, Lord Illusions and stuff. And I thought he played him in it, something else, but I know he, he appears a bunch in uh, Clyde Barker's books and stuff. And I think uh, Bacula was a great choice. Yeah, I mean, I think even um, uh, Clyde Barker even model like I kind of modeled the char- character off of off of Bacula, like as like in some of the other stuff. You know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. way he described the character. How are you enjoying uh, Scarlet Gospel so far? So far, it's really good. And like, I mean, it starts off like super brutal. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, uh, and and you're kind of like, what the fuck is going on? You know, and then <laughs> I still haven't, I've, I've only, I just started like the night before last. So I'm like, not, I'm only like a quarter way through, but 
it's funny like when i was reading our stuff but then i i like got this book and it just like sucked me and like i reread um hellbound heart the other day too mm-hmm. and actually i think it was probably hellraiser that got me into barker's stuff like because i was such a big fan of the hellraiser movies and of pinhead and all that stuff that i i pretty sure that's kind of i found i i think i got i read like hellbound heart maybe it was like mm-hmm. the first barker thing i read and then i remember reading his um books of blood and uh like uh and um i think probably like cabal or something like that mm-hmm. uh oh yeah i i mean yeah and i was i was definitely probably a little too young to be reading that stuff but you know i went and got it from the library and stuff you know <laughs> if my library had that when i was a kid i would totally been reading it because i always read over my required like reading levels and stuff I, I read like jurassic park when i was like 10 years old or something that was like a like 15 and over reading level or some shit like that, you know, but my library didn't have anything good like Barker and stuff. So I ended up reading like really older, like weird tales and stuff like, uh, like this weird folklore and shit like that. And dinosaur books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My book, my library, um, well, the main place I grew up like, uh, here in Cardo, out in golden, they had a pretty good library and, um, they had like a lot of, I used a lot of cool stuff like um i used to get a lot of like um horror story like you know books like um like wait uh, i'm like blanking on the word for it not compilation but uh, you know like um yeah i know what you uh, mean like collections um, scary stories of telling the dark shit like that it's got multiple tales and stuff in there yeah but what you know like you know like when they have like different authors you know mm-hmm. like they're putting in different stories and i'm like blanking yeah. on the word for that um but I used to read like a lot of these kind of horror story collections with people. And uh, I remember finding one that was um, had like all the like um, uh, the splatterpunk people, you know, those associated with like Barker, like David D- J. Shao and, and Poppy Z. Wright and stuff. Right. They had released a, a compilation, a collection that had like all of them like collected in it. And I remember f- reading that. Uh, it's funny though, because you know, I look back, I was like, as a kid, I probably didn't really understand like everything that I was reading in those stories, you know, <laughs> like like uh, like like with the books of blood, for example. I'm I when I read back at it, I'm like, I definitely didn't really understand like exactly like, what's going on in some of these stories, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, my favorite from the books of blood, or one of my favorites, has got to be Rawhead Rex, man. Goddamn great story oh, yeah. i love <laughs> well, that story it's so brutal man I'm, i wish it would do it like a, a film that does it true justice and you know i do enjoy the i think it was the 80s version i don't think it was early 90s but the 80s uh, version rawhead rex i like it for what it is it's, it has like a dark ass feel to it and i i do like the way rawhead rex looked in it even though it was kind of cheesy but right. um, I, I think it could do it justice nowadays you know like with the technology we have and like costume design and stuff like that like you really fucking make rawhead rex the way it should be i think so i mean and yeah the rawhead rex came out i think in 83 or 84 because it was because of how much clive barker hated that movie that was part of the reason he wanted to direct hellraiser (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 but i mean do you think that they would go like all in like like even having him like raping all these women stuff <laughs> like he does um, i guess <laughs> i guess it maybe depends on the director maybe we get uh whatchamacallit that did uh x 
Um, okay, I'm having a brain oh, for it uh, on his Ty name West. right now. Yeah, maybe Ty West could helm that. Yeah, I mean, it'd be brutal. Like, I mean, I love that story. It's it's really good to like, it's almost, it is kind of a folklore in a way because you have this being like, it's been buried out in the, out in like, you know, by this old like British town and almost kind of has that feeling of like blood on Satan's claw or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But way more brutal, like Kai Barker's brutal version of blood on Satan's claw in a way. I also yeah. think, uh, I think Panos Cosmonos would do a good version of that as well. You know, director Mandy. I think yeah, he definitely. could do the justice. Like, I think that vision of all the like crazy dark psychedelic stuff, I think that would be really cool for Rawhead Rex. Yeah, I agree. Uh, did you see Panos is uh, directing, um, you know, that that show that um, that Gilma Toro is putting out on Netflix? Uh, Panos Cosmetos is doing an episode. Oh, yeah. I'm all about that, dude. As soon as I yeah. found that, I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'll be watching. I was going to watch it anyways because like Gilmo Del Toro, but knowing that, you know, Panos is going to be involved in it, that's, that's going to be fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean, the director's list on that. And I mean, they're doing like a version of Dreams of Witch House. And like, uh, I think I think there's like three Lovecraft stories in there. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm signed. I'm signed on. I'm, I need to watch this. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward. That's like the biggest thing I'm looking forward to this like October. I think it comes out in October. So, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that much more than like <laughs> either the Adams Family one or the uh, Monsters one. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, I probably end up watching them in October just to get that Halloween feeling and stuff. But, you know, Rob Zombie's very hit and miss. Um, you know, a lot of shit I don't like from Rob Zombie, but I do really love Lords of Salem. And it took me a couple viewings. I actually loved that movie, but it's fucking awesome. Yeah, I need to go back to that one. I, I I didn't really like it when I first watched it when it came out. And then um it was actually I was listening to Necromaniacs episode where where Mike and Mike were talking about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it kind of made me think, you know, I need to go back and revisit this. Like maybe I think I don't know. I think to be honest, I got kind of annoyed at the whole like thing where they're like making fun of black metal and doing all this stuff and like the kind of kind of like ticked me off so like i think i i didn't really um get judge it like properly you know what i mean like i just need to go back and rewatch it like like and not 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 get annoyed at stuff like that and just actually kind of enjoy like the atmosphere of it you know yeah you should definitely do it because i, I was the same way at the first viewing of that one i don't know if i saw it in theaters or not but uh first time watching it i was like uh, this is kind of shitty. I, I don't know. Then something made me go back and rewatch it for like a second time. It started growing on me. And I think after hearing that Necromaniacs podcast about that, I went back and uh, watched it for a third time. And I was like, okay, I totally get this now. It, just, it took a few viewings to get, you know, what he was doing there. Yeah, definitely. I de- yeah, I definitely need to go back. I, I was going to not that long ago and I hadn't gotten around to it. But I think, I think maybe uh, I'm trying to, Oh, if I don't see it this month, I'm gonna put it on my uh, my list for October for Halloween viewing. Yeah, that'd be perfect. And if I'm not mistaken, it still should be up on Shutter. But last time I watched it, it was on Shutter. But it might still be up there. Who knows? They get rid of movies here and there. You know, to add new ones in. So yeah, it was on um, Amazon Prime as well. So okay, cool. Yeah, when I checked for it, it was on. Uh, uh, I I found it on Prime. But I might. Be, I have to check to see if it's on Shutter still. The um, yeah. I mean, like this year, I'm gonna try to hit um, 
as many movies in October. I'm going to, I want to shoot for the 31 days, but you never know, you know, it's hard to do all 31, but it is man. Like when I get home from work, I'm fucking tired as hell. I do my workout and all that stuff, my ritual when I get home. And then it's like, Oh, do I want to watch a movie or do I want, do I want to watch Seinfeld for the fucking 1000th time? And I usually pick Seinfeld (laughs) because it's something (laughs) I can decompress with, man. Like, I just don't have the mental energy to sit there and pay attention that much, you know, because I'm like pretty much drained. So yeah. I got to turn Seinfeld on or I watch an old episode of X Files or Twin Peaks. Those are my like go tos for after work. Yeah, definitely feel yeah. I, I do that kind of stuff a lot too. Where and I'll like come home and uh, I like to watch for some reason. I like to like decompress watching like ghost videos, <laughs> like ghost hunting videos, <laughs> yeah. or I watch like. Uh, yeah, different shows or stuff. Uh, uh, sometimes I'll w- put on, um, go halfway and I'll watch like Night Gallery or something because I'm working my way through. I have like the DVD box set, of, like Night Gallery and Tales from the Dark Side and all that stuff. So, oh, yeah, nice. I'm like very slowly working my way through those at, here and there. I'm a big fan of the uh, Tales from the Dark Side. That was a, a childhood favorite of mine and uh, even a favorite now when it comes to those type of shows, you know, and it's so dark and that intro the that they used for um that one there was so fucking like traumatizing like the music <laughs> and the way shit changes color so fast and this it's like a gradual like pull you down into hell type feeling yeah i mean I, that one is really good at and you know like you got like it had like tom savini did an episode and george romero did episodes and mm-hmm. uh you know like i think uh stephen king was involved in in it somewhat like it yeah i mean great- i think Toby hooper too yeah, Toby Hooper as well. And so, I mean, it was really like the the precursor to before we got like Freddy's Nightmares and we got like, uh, t- you know, and then like Tales from the Crypt and stuff, obviously, as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, really, I, I like Tales from Dark Side a lot as well. And uh, I I got that box set, like DVD box set, right? Like Walmart for like 20 bucks. So, oh, well, that's a killer deal. I got to look that up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you just look it up. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I say, yeah, look it up, dude. You can get the all, the whole show. It's like this box set with everything in it, and um, it's, it's usually like twenty or thirty hours. Is that DVD or Blu-ray? It's DVD. I don't DVD. know if they've done a Blu-ray one or not. Okay, that'd be cool. Yeah, I'm trying to control myself when it comes to buying Blu-rays on right now because I go on these spurts, man. I'm like, oh, that's cool, and I'm still waiting on like two movies to come, and then I pre-ordered like six months ago the uh, special edition. Of dog soldiers on Blu-ray with the uh, poster from uh, Shout Factory. Oh, nice! And it's, like, it's held up in like Alabama or something, man. I was checking the tracking number. It's supposed to be here already. They keep giving me surveys about what do you think of the movie. I'm like, oh, it's not here yet. <laughs> I got something else coming in too that I pre-ordered and kind of forgot about. So that's awesome. Yeah, I and uh, yeah, I get I get on like spurts where I buy like a bunch of movies or a bunch of books or something, and then I have to kind of control myself, but. I I I, I kind of want to order. I I found last night that um the one we were talking about tonight. I found um uh Arrow did like a like a nice D, uh, Blu-ray of Hellraiser and Hellraiser Two. Oh yeah, yeah, really nice yeah. ones. Yeah, I want to. I think I'm gonna try to pick up those because I mean I have a nice D, like old DVD set that had them, but mm-hmm. I mean this uh, I saw that the the Arrow one of Hellraiser has like. A little Viathon, like four-hour documentary about Hellraiser and shit. So, yeah, it's a great documentary. Um, I believe Shutter had that up at one time, and I watched it when Shutter had it up on there. But uh, yeah, it's super in-depth and stuff. Yeah, and it's 
it's pretty sick like you know like some movies it's like um there are some movies that i own that i'm willing to to go ahead and buy it on you know upgrade buy it on blu-ray you know even if i have a, a a good dvd of it you know yeah and it's important to collect physical media man like i i love all of my streaming services i have like a thousand of them but I, I cherish my blu-rays and vhs's and stuff like that yeah definitely i mean if i if i have the choice between watching on my dvd or blu-ray or watching on streaming i I usually pick my dvd or blu-ray you know that's just how i am like uh unless i'm like i don't know watching my phone or something you know like but but you know i, I mostly use the streaming to watch stuff that i can't i don't own you know yeah you know I, I got you and there's so many different streaming apps too like the possibilities are endless of stuff that you might not own you know like you got a ton of shit ton of apps yeah dude i mean i i, I have shutter and uh amazon prime and um i have access to a netflix account <laughs> i don't actually <laughs> i don't really have my own but uh yeah i mean i'm kind of like i don't want to get too many i've been thinking about checking out the arrow app though because i always hear you talking about it Dude, 100% get the Arrow app. Man, I love Arrow. Like, it's up there with Shutter. Um, sometimes they have better stuff than Shutter. Sometimes Shutter has a little bit better stuff than they do. But having both of them is like the ultimate, like, you know, horror streaming uh, combo. Yeah, Arrow, like, I mean, they're legit. They really make really good, like, um, Blu rays. And, and uh, I'm sure that, and I, I, you, I, I've heard you say that the, the app actually has, like, the, um, they like the bonus features as well yeah special features are included which is really fucking cool that's sick yeah that's really sure. sick dude yeah highly recommend that one if you're going to do that one too for like three bucks a month you might as well throw in a night flight plus if you ever use night flight before it's a great fucking app for like really cool um 80s music uh 90s music and they do some really obscure horror stuff on there okay cool like obscure like 80s 90s stuff yeah, and some newer stuff on there. Um, they also just dropped uh, Drab Majesty did like this special thing just for uh, Night Flight that they put up on there, like this video they did. And I'm going to get Night Flight once again because I just uh, disconnected that for a while because I wasn't using it. But now I'm like, oh, wait, Drab Majesty dropping something on there. So I guess I'm going to get that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like the thing that gets you back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Drive Magic is one of my favorite bands. I'm like, anything they do, I got to check it out. So, yeah, definitely. The uh, Drive Magic is a great band. I, yeah, yeah most definitely. Oh, you I, got to see them? I've seen them um, three times. So, oh, man. Lucky, man. I would love well, to see them live. I have yet to see them live. The best time uh, was the second time because they were like on a, on a big stage here. Mm hmm. But um, the first time was like in like it was a funny thing where they're like in this like literally like it was like a, this nightclub that does like a goth night, mm -hmm. and they were like up on like the DJ stage basically, and like you could barely you couldn't even, like the place was so packed that you couldn't even really see them because it was like it's like it's basically in a basement you know, right? Uh, but it was I mean it's still cool I mean one of my friends like is friends with with um what's his um though I might. Just blanked on the, on his name. Uh, the lead guy. Uh, Deb. Deb, yeah. yeah. So he like hooked, set the show up, and I was like, but then, but the second time was the coolest. I always, I definitely recommend if you can see them on like a bigger stage because they get really cool like visuals that really fit the vibe of the music and everything. 
Yeah, they're to me they're like one of the best bands in the past ten years to come around. Like I just love I'm the like hooked on their shit, man. Like every year my Spotify top ten or whatever fucking thing comes up is like Drive Majesty's number one. I'm like, damn, I'm pretty sure I listen to a shit ton of black metal and death metal, but I guess Drive <laughs> Majesty beat them out again. <laughs> yeah. Well there's certain types of things where you like listen to it over and over and over again and you don't even realize. And then at the end of the year it's like, yeah, you I mean you listen to that like a million times, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and Deb also does the other band, which you probably know about, VR Sex. Yeah, VR Sex. Yeah, I'm not. I haven't listened as much to VR Sex as um as Drab Majesty, but what I've heard, I liked a lot. Yeah, they're still really killer. You got a bit of a different feel to them. They're like kind of acid punk, new wave, something. I guess this is crazy, and uh, I don't know. It's it's great. It's a nice uh compliment to Drab Majesty. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. I think it's a little bit more raw. You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely more wrong. Yeah. Well, I guess let's go ahead and get into it. Um, since I was like, yeah, we, you know, it's about time. The um, yeah. So, yeah, tonight we're going through the, the Hellraiser series. Uh, really, we're only going through the first four. So uh, mainly because I didn't want, I didn't, you know, I just wanted to go through the main ones. I feel like the first four are like, they're the, they're the, Four that were released in the theaters. There were four that was released with collaboration with Clive Barker. You know, he had very, very minimal input, I think, on Inferno. And after that, uh, I think he's pretty much, you know, had nothing to do with the rest of the movies. Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, but the, these first four, he was he was definitely, like, um, a part of in, uh, and creatively, you know. And um, so I feel like they... they they managed to kind of fit together in a way. And uh, so I felt like it would be a good one, good ones to go back and, and revisit and talk about. Cause I wanted, uh, I was like, Hellraiser is, is, I mean, like I said, was, I watched it when I was young. Um, I think I saw Freddy first, you know, like the yes. Nightmare on Elm Street first, but uh-huh. I mean, Finhead and Hellraiser was definitely one of the early memories for me for getting into horror, you know, and uh, I've always been really attracted to the Hellraiser series and, uh, really interested in it and the world that Clive Barker created with it, you know? Oh yeah, totally. Like I said, that was one of the first um, horror memories I had as a kid was Hellraiser. I think that, yeah. And I, I just love the whole idea of there. I love the whole idea of Clive Barker stuff of there being this like kind of other world that's like just a step away from ours, basically, you know? Mm-hmm and and all these dimensions in it and and yeah you can open this box and then you unlock the key to the the hell dimension you know here they come (laughs) here they come yeah but uh yeah so the first movie came out and uh what was it um i got my thing right here i think it was 87 let me double check on that real quick um it was come on now you my tablet here is going slow. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure it was 87, yeah. Yeah, 87. So 1987, I guess that earlier Clive Barker, um, I guess he, he wrote The Hellbound Heart as kind of like a proof of concept for the for the movie, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, like the idea was to write a novella that he would turn into a screenplay, you know? And uh, right. so, so, I mean, yeah, the novella and the movie are based very almost exactly the same you know except for a few 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 like details you know yeah and like kind of like the whole pinhead's a bit different too which i think's cool you know 
Yeah, I feel like all the changes that he made are for the better, really, because, I mean, after having seen the movie and uh, watched and read the book, it was like, okay, changing Kirsty from, like, a friend who had the hots for dad or whatever to the actual, to a daughter, I think made a lot more sense, narratively. Yeah. And uh, and then making Penhead kind of like the the kind of leader, I think like uh, or as as like Barker likes to call him the hell priest, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, he uh, I think that that was a stroke of genius in a lot of ways, you know. Oh yeah, same here. Because I think in the novella, uh, Butterball was the leader, if I'm not mistaken. I think I it was. Um, uh, I'm not sure. It was. It was the. It seemed like the leader was the one. It, it almost I wasn't sure if it was like it was. He had like hooks, like holding open his eyes and stuff. And I'm not sure if they even really made him into made that. Oh one. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure on that one either. I need, need to reread the novella anyway. So it it almost seemed like the the leader in the novella was um, maybe even closer to the one the woman one in the movie that has like the hooks, but but definitely like and. But definitely that one and and the pinhead one were the ones that that were talking the most in the in the book as well. So mm-hmm. and obviously and I don't they're obviously the only ones that really have like dialogue uh, in the you know in the rest of them or at least the first two. Right. But um, yeah, Clyde Barker did all that. He wanted to. He had already made. Have you seen his experimental movies? Um, I have not seen his experimental movies. No. Um, they're pretty cool. Yeah, I definitely recommend he did like Salome and then um and Faust. Uh I'm not sure. I've seen those two. Those two are fucking really cool. Like these experimental films. I think Doug Bradley's in them as well. Oh, I never knew about that. Are you on uh, YouTube? Uh or... I'm not sure. I saw them in like a documentary. Okay. Uh, I think they're uh they probably are on YouTube. I know that you can back in the day you could get a DVD of them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh so they're they're available, I'm sure. Um, um, let me look real quick. Clive Barker, I definitely if they are on YouTube, I definitely recommend checking out. The yeah, um, so yeah, because he had been working as uh, uh, they had been doing like theater. Yeah, Salome is is on here. There are they're on. Uh, yes, uh, there's like Salome, Forbidden, and um, and. Uh, I've seen Salome Forbidden and and the, the Faust one he did. So I definitely recommend seeing all those. Okay, cool. Because uh, they had been, that's how him and Doug Bradley became friends is they had um, uh, been working together um, in, uh, in theater and everything. Like Barker, had, they had been doing this, running this experimental like stage, like production, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, doing this very transgressive, like out there, already like in your face fucking like i've seen the pictures from them are really cool like they really seem to be inspired a, like a lot by grand guignol and and um and uh like the um old silent films and you know they're i would love to i would have loved to seen these plays that he was writing you know right yeah that would be killer and uh and yeah so then they did these experimental films and uh and he had licensed out, I think, Rawhead Rex. And I think there was another one that had been made of his story as well. But I can't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but I guess he wasn't happy with those. That's why he was like, okay, I'm going to make my own movie. This next one, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make this Hellraiser, you know, or I right. guess it was Hell Down Hard. They didn't call it Hellraiser until, until they're in production. Mm-hmm. But, um, which I think, I think was a good idea. I mean, you can tell that he's had experience when you watch it with stage and with, uh, doing the experimental films. Cause I mean, it doesn't seem like the movie of, a of a first time director, in my opinion. No, not at all. Like it seems like a seasoned director, you know. Yeah. And I, I guess, like, I guess we can go. The basic plot line is you have um, Frank who uh, gets the puzzle box and opens it up, and uh, the Cenobites come and tear him apart, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this room, uh, turns out this later on we meet um what's his name larry and and um fucking blanket was was her name um are we talking about uh julia yeah julia i was like yeah. totally blank we have larry and julia they're going this house uh it's all like fucked up you know mm-hmm. and you got like and then this house was the house that 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 um that frank had had called the Cenobites. <laughs> and everything and there's a you know up in that uh, up in the attic uh it turns out that julia and frank had had a, a kind of one night stand uh on her wedding dress <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh and uh frank and and um and larry are brothers you know so it makes it even better mm-hmm. and uh and then frank disappeared after that and uh, julia has been pining after him ever since but she still got married to larry I was finding all this information out. And then there's Kirsty, who's like the daughter of Larry. Uh, Julia's the stepmom. The um, Kirsty decides not to live there because she doesn't want to live with the stepmom. Uh, they move in. And then when they're moving in, Frank, like not Frank, Larry um, cuts his hand on a, on a nail and he refuses to look at it <laughs> like a yeah. baby, you know, <laughs> just like right. it goes and bleeds all over the floor. And then, um, julia and the blood uh the floor of the attic where um frank was killed and that start that brings frank back and basically uh julia starts uh killing people for frank bringing making so that he's like developing his flesh you know mm-hmm. uh he's basically like a a, a skinless like body walking around <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah and uh and um, so it, basically they kill, he like feeds off these, these guys that she seduces back there. Uh, eventually Kirsty finds out. Frank um, tries to make a move on her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she throws the, she sees the puzzle box, throws it out, manages to escape, gets the puzzle box. And then she's in a, a mental institution or something, opens up the puzzle box. And the Cenobites come and she tells them, no, Frank's like uh, escaped from you. They go, they tell her that they want to hear from his lips or they're going to tear her soul apart. And then basically she goes, confronts them. Turns out uh, Frank kills his brother and wears his skin as a suit. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but then eventually um, admits that he's Frank and that he, you know, like and the Cenobites basically literally tear him apart and like one of the most uh, great, great scene that I think if we had an unrated cut it would be even more brutal from what I heard. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then uh like and before that he had killed julia so julia's dead as well like on this bed they find her skinless on this bed for some reason and then um uh basically kirsty sends the cenobites back to hell and then at the end the uh this like um the box disappears like in the hands of like this big like dragon thing you know kind yeah. of just the basic overline of the plot <laughs> They don't want to get yeah. too in depth because they have four movies to go through, you know. No, that's a that's a great um, synopsis of it and stuff. And um, my favorite, my whole favorite scene out of all of this is the uh, transformation that Frank's going through, like uh, when he really starts to get moving, you know, after the blood and all is getting down to him from Larry and stuff. And he's like transforming underneath the floor, and he finally pops up and turns into this like spider-looking thing before he gets into like a a man-type form. Like the special effects used for that is fucking killer. Oh yeah, dude! Like when when he like his vertebrae connects with like the brain, mm-hmm. like it's so like kind of insectoid and kind of creepy looking. Yeah, it's so slimy, man. It's like you can just feel that the visceralness of it and everything. Yeah, I mean, you, you feel kind of sick just looking at looking at it. You know, like yeah, it's very very effective. <laughs> and I'm really good with gore and stuff when it comes to film. Like I can watch a lot of things, but even going back and rewatching Hellraiser, even that scene there, still like, God damn, that's brutal. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's that. It's funny that it really makes you feel uncomfortable. Like, and I was listening to podcasts, people talking about Hellraiser and stuff, and pretty much everybody says the same thing. It's like very very effective that whole transformation scene, and even just seeing Frank walking around like the skinless like body, you know, like mm-hmm. bleeding everywhere, you know. Like it's just, and he's like glistening, and it's just, it kind of makes you just feel kind of queasy, you know? <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, it gets you a sick feeling. It's like, man, <laughs> you know? I think it's because it looks really real, you know, like when he's walking around as a corpse, like, uh, or not corpse, but as like a skinless body. I mean, it looks anatomically correct. You know what I mean? Yeah, it looks super real, even for nowadays standards, you know? I think yeah. the special effects in this movie blow out a lot of like modern day horror films when it comes to their special effects you know they rely on mostly cgi and stuff like that you know these old school practical effects really you know deliver the realness yeah exactly i think i mean i think the hellraiser is up there with um like the thing and and all the all the kind of movies that people hold up as like the prime like special effects like uh like practical special effects movies you know Mm mm-hmm I think Hellraiser is right up there. You know, I think that is in, like very, like, it's one of the mo- most incredible like special effects in this, you know? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and I think sometimes it's like really simple. And like, I love like the scene. One of my other favorite scenes is the scene when Kirsty uh, does the puzzle box in the, the, the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I just love the way that everything changes in that, you know, like the, the light bulb fills of blood and bursts and like the flowers and everything, you know? Yeah. So like, um, it's just really like, it's like all of a sudden, yeah, we're in a creepy, we're in a creepy, something's changed, you know, we're not in the right dimension anymore. And then the kind of cold light that, that emanates as the, as the Cenoites come, you know? Yeah. I love that. Like blue light that they always bring with them, you know, it's like, you can feel the the coldness of whatever dimension they're from. You know, it's yeah, very impactful. Yeah. And as like described in the books as well as like the idea, yeah, they have this cold like blue light emanating, like kind of like it's almost like it's like emanating through the walls and stuff. The um, 
and I think as an interesting part of the whole series is, is that, that whole aspect of they're come, they're actually like coming through this reality in a way. And it's almost like shown in the book um, in particular, this idea that they're coming from the real reality, you know, mm-hmm. like, like this one is almost like an illusion, you know, it's yeah. The flesh is, is, in a way you know the flesh is is important the flesh isn't an illusion but but maybe our our perception reality is in a way an illusion you know right and they're coming from the real and uh, i always i just think that's interesting like that's even the phrasing that barker used and that's that's i found it interesting because uh there's a french philosopher named jacques lacan and he talks about the idea of the real Mm -hmm. and the confrontation of the real like that there is this kind of level of fantasy that we apply to reality you know and that when that's torn away we're confronted confronted with the real mm-hmm. and so in a way it's almost like the cenobites are saying that they're that what they're presenting is the real truth of of everything you know right that you know to pair the phrase from i think it's in hours of threes like where's like uh a sound at the heart of everything, like the sound of razors hitting flesh or whatever, or the humming of razors hitting flesh or whatever, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. It's like, that's, it's, I think one of the underlying ideas that's in this, all this is that they're coming from maybe realities at, at base, this, this, this whole like pleasure pain principle that they're using, you know? Right. And also like too, uh, if you go all the way up to what it was, it a uh, Hellraiser, I think it was three as well. Maybe it might've been, no, I'm sorry. I think it was two. But when they, you know, they go and actually see uh, Leviathan and stuff, all those different squares and stuff there, maybe those are all different realities and stuff, you know, and the Hellraiser's reality is the main reality out of all those realities, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, like maybe, like, they think that they're going home, like, to a normal reality, but the reality is that, that, yeah, like, our reality is just one, like, kind of part of the labyrinth of the, of the Leviathan, you know? Mm-hmm. like feeding that that force maybe yeah totally that's what i think yeah i definitely i agree like and I, that seems to be uh a part of Bar- barker's ideas like um and when documentary is watching he was talking about um william blake the poet william blake who's like uh idea of that that the other world is right here with us at all times you know it just mm-hmm. you just have to shift like your uh, kind of perception into that other world which is which is kind of um it, it was influential i guess on his on his work like rather than it's not just a matter of like the c.s lewis like you go through a wardrobe into this other world it's more like there's like an interplay between the other world and ours you know right that the other world is and the other world is just as like physically tangible it's maybe just operating on a slightly different dimension than ours you know mm-hmm. yeah i totally agree with that I love that. I, that's one thing I love about all of his work. I mean, uh, it's been a long time since I've read like a Magicka and stuff, but I mean, that's a big part of that one too. Yeah, I know. Um, Aberrat. Yeah. Aberrat books, which I really like a lot. Yeah, it's really, I mean, a Magicka is pretty long. It's hard to, uh, a little bit hard to get through just because it's so long, you know, but it's a good one. Uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in it. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, totally. And like giant world building type things. Yeah, I mean, it's like he's had up like a Tolkien level type of world, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a yeah, he's a hell of a world builder. He's very much like King in that way as well, too. I guess King's a big world builder. Yeah, definitely. I think um, 
I definitely think Barker and King have a lot in common in that way. You know, it's just that uh, mm. Barker is like the British version, you know? <laughs> yeah, with more S&M. <laughs> yeah, a lot more S&M and, and uh, <laughs> kinky sex and stuff. Yeah. There's always this like sexual element in Barker stuff. Like, like uh, I was, like I said, I started reading Scarlet Gospels and it's like they're talking about Harry Demore's like partner dying. Mm-hmm. Like, and the monster that killed his partner and like is like jerking off as he's you know like right yeah it's just like it's like only in barker do you have stuff like this i've never read anything like this in somebody else's work you know no it's only barker that i've read you like that has yeah that like kind of it's like here's your monster if you're if it's like enormous hard cock and it's like gonna masturbate like as it watches you die you know like right. <laughs> so fucking like oh okay leave it to barker yeah but yeah, and this one, I mean, I love the Cenobites, like the fucking, this is the, to me, and this is the classic Cenobite designs. Mm-hmm. You know, when we get to three and four, we're going to see some, see some not so good Cenobites. And this one is like the best, you know? Yeah, I would say so too. Like with the classic look and stuff and the classic Cenobites, you know, it does go a little off the rails as the series goes on, but I, I do appreciate some of the ones in the uh, later series is the, uh, like the crazy like imagination that came up with making these different fucking cinnabites, you know. Yeah, you know, like yeah, I mean I like the ones later on as well. I think that uh like when we you know uh we'll get to them we can talk about those but yeah the yeah. the um I do think that because I do think that cinnabites can have all kinds of like really crazy different ways of being uh but I definitely like the the ones in this one. They're just like the guy with the chattering teeth and, and yeah, the I, chatter is really killer. Do you um do you remember those old Mar- McFarlane like um Hellraiser uh, action figures? Yes, uh, I've always wanted like a whole set of them. But yeah, yeah, I I only I have, I have Pinhead and I have um the female one. Nice. I got those like a lot like like when I was a teenager. Yeah, I would love to have those, man. Those are so cool. Yeah, they're really those are really cool. I wanted to have all of them, but but I I ended up just getting those two. Yeah. The um the like the McFarlane action figures are always like the best, you know. Yeah, best detail and everything for sure. Yeah, definitely. The um, let's see what what are some other things that you like about this one? Um, you know, just the whole feel of it and stuff, and um how close it is with the novella and um yeah this this made an impact on me like i said as a at a young age like uh the way it makes me feel uncomfortable even as an adult you know with some <laughs> of the scenes like uh, you don't get that from a, i don't get that from any movies nowadays like the feeling that you get from like the first couple hellraiser films and stuff man they, i don't know it's very unsettling yeah I think Barker is hitting on some pretty primal levels, you know, he's hitting on like these primal levels, like sexuality and like, you know, like, um, and just like our mortality and our flesh and everything, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's really hitting at like some really primitive, like, and really primal levels of our being, you know? He also seems to pull from like dreams and stuff too, man. Cause a lot of stuff in his films and his writing and things like that remind me of some of my dreams I have. You know, it's very dreamlike. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would agree. Like, and some of the imagery and everything, it, it feels very much like from the unconscious. Like, I feel like you can tell that 
that Hellraiser was definitely a pretty big influence on like Silent Hill, for example. Oh yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I could yeah. definitely see that. Yeah, like I mean, I know that the creators Silent Hill like um were uh, inspired had said they were inspired by Hellraiser as well as like Jacob's Ladder and stuff, but yeah, just like the design of like the the monsters and everything, like I think it's great and. Uh, I think the movie as a whole is really well made. I mean, there's there's a few like hiccups here and there, like, but overall, I think it's a great movie. You know, oh, same here, man. Like, out of the rating system, one through five, like, this is a perfect five for me. Yeah, me too, definitely. This is a five out of five one. Like, um, I've seen this movie like more times than I can probably count. <laughs> you know, yeah, same here. it's like. Uh, uh, and I, I think it doesn't doesn't ever get old, you know. It's like one of those ones that you can go back to, and and I think is when he, I think the big thing all about Barker, at his, is that he makes you think, you know. He really there's a lot of stuff like thought provoking in in his work and in this movie, you know. Yeah, it's just not gore for gore's sake, you know. There's a lot of good story behind it and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, exactly, and a lot of really interesting ideas going behind it as well. Mm-hmm. And I like the way that the ideas intermix with what's going on so that, you know, like everything seems to have a purpose. And maybe that's part of why it seems more dep- disturbing is because there's feels like there's like a kind of real purpose behind the, the disturbing stuff, you know? Right. Totally. Um, but yeah, so one year later, they released Hellraiser 2. This time, Barker didn't um, take part in it. No. Uh, as, as far as like directing. I know that he he was involved creatively creatively with the first four in different capacities. Like uh, I think a lot of the story ideas were coming from him and everything. Yeah, definitely. But um, he didn't write the screenplay or, um, or direct them or anything, but he, I think he was a producer except, you know, on each one of these and had a hand in the creative process. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to give out the kind of story outline on this one? Yeah, sure. Let me, uh, Look back on here and see what the date was. You already gave the date on this, didn't you? I didn't hear if you did. Uh, yeah, it was like 1987. Okay. It was like a one year later. Like they pumped this one out. <laughs> yeah, this one came out fast, and it's a um, Hell Hellbound Hellraiser Two is uh, pretty much a continuation from the first Hellraiser film. And you know, it, it takes you uh, back to like the. I think they show like the first. Uh, first like five minutes of the first film into the second film that way it kind of catches you up on what's going on and stuff like that yeah and then this uh yeah it's a continuation pretty much like up from the first film pretty much all the actors returned everybody's the same that i i believe anyways i'm double checking that i think all the same actors returned from the first film for the most part you know except for a few who I don't want to give away any spoilers, but you know, kind of didn't make it in the first film any damn ways, but yeah. You know. Yeah. I don't think the, the, obviously the dad died in the first one, but you know, Frank's not wearing a skin in this one. So he doesn't come back. <laughs> yeah. And this one's kind of with, uh, uh, Christy wants to go back to, I guess she's calling it hell is uh, what she thinks it is. And it, it could be a form of hell, you know, where the Cenobites come from and stuff, but she's wanting to go back there to try to rescue her father, which she sees like this uh, crazy message on the wall that she believes that her father left for, you know, that I'm in hell, you know, so yeah, help me she's doing what she can. People think she's nuts because she's still in a crazy house and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, she's trying to 
you know, ventured back to get her dad out of hell. And in between all that stuff, man, like the world building, like increases, like you actually get to see where the Cenobites come from for the most part. And you get to witness Leviathan and all his glory, you know, and yeah, it's crazy. And I, I think um, I like it just as much as I like the first film, because I, especially towards the middle part and towards the end of this one, like, you know, that's the world building comes in. You get to see so much more of their world, like their hellish landscape and stuff and, you know, where they come from. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, because, uh, yeah, in this one, you have the, um, the doctor who is like, uh, he's a doctor at the facility that Kirstie's at, and he, mm-hmm. he's like, turns out that he's like obsessed with the Cenobites and uh, he finds out about the bed that Julia was killed in and he gets that bed and, and he basically brings her back to life in a pretty brutal scene that made me feel really sick when I was watching Oh it. yeah. Dude, that one was rough, man. Dude's trying to like uh, cut these bugs off that don't really exist on him and all the oh. blood back fucking Julia and she just grabs a hold of him and it's a fuck up scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's one of those scenes where, where like I'm watching this guy like cutting into himself and like uh, screaming. I was like, oh god. <laughs> this is and really the bugs sickening. and the cuts is what gets me. Like all the bugs and those cuts, like the worms and all crawling out. I'm like, God damn it. It's, it's still so good. Like, man, it hits hard. Yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, Julia comes back. Um, he fe- he basically murders like a whole whole like room full of people for her. Mm-hmm which is pretty crazy. And it's like, he's just like murdering his, I think he's just murdering his patients. And, um, and she comes back, she has her skin and yeah, uh, they force this other girl to open the, the portal to hell, which turns out to be the Leviathan, which is like, some, or the guy, like it's like this like shape in the, in the diamond shape in the sky. Yeah, it's kind of almost like the box itself, but like turned like a different way. You know what I mean? If you look at the designs of it, it looks just like the uh, the box. Yeah, it's like turned into like a diamond shape, and um, mm-hmm. and the box turns into that as well. And uh, and yeah, then they're all wandering through their own kind of personal hells, which is a pretty cool scene. Like I yeah, love I like, all that part of it. I like the uh, the like circus or sideshow scene with like the the baby like freaking like doing its mouth with a sewing its mouth shut then you have i think there was oh, a yeah. clown there for a second i can't remember took out the eyeball <laughs> yeah dude that that part is so cool yeah i'm like whoa this is weird man <laughs> i love the uh confrontation of frank who yeah the uh where he's like uh it turns out like that her dad's like not there it's frank like <laughs> oh yeah it's him the whole fucking time, which yeah, you know, it's brutal, and uh, and that whole I mean, his hell is like pretty. I mean, yeah, I mean, for him, that probably is a hell, like you know, like having these like women, like these like ghost women taunting him that he can never get to. Yeah, yeah, the perfect hell for Frank. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, and uh, so yeah, and basically, like in the movie, uh, Julia throws the the doctor guy in, and he becomes a Cenobite. And I will say that I like this movie up and I don't like the the ending section, like mm. from when um, I don't like the whole part of them of the Cenobites turning human and everything. Oh yeah, and him when, killing uh, them and all yeah. that stuff. I find I just I never liked that. I just always found it really annoying. 
Yeah, you know, and I get it because uh, the doctor himself, when he turned into a Cenobite, I think he is actual like physical. Well, I mean, this Leviathan's already a physical form, but it's more like a a thing instead of like a like a person type thing, anyways. But I think it's Leviathan that's like, controlling him. You oh, know, really? so, that's why he's so powerful and shit. Because even if you look look him up, that character actor, whatever, the guy playing that character says Leviathan on there. And the toy always said Leviathan from McFarland Toys. I'm like, well, who the hell's Leviathan? You know, it was always a bit confusing, but I think that was Leviathan oh, okay. controlling him. You know, that's why he's so powerful where he just fucking wipes out the Cenobites. Yeah, this is always like, I find that I always had like, found that scene like frustrating. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy like killing these <laughs> the Cenobites? You know what I mean? <laughs> like so <Yeah>. easy. <laughs> You think they could at least have a fight? He just like fucking kill, wipes all of them out in like a minute. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he freaking uh, breaks Pinhead's chains and stuff, and then he starts throwing those like dark things out of those tentacles coming out of his hand. I'm like, what the hell, man? Yeah, that's like my biggest. That's pretty much like it's a movie. I like everything, but that's like my like one com- like my complaint about it is I don't really like that. Yeah, they you went know? down too easy. Yeah, exactly. If you are gonna kill them up, like I would have liked more of a fight between the guy, to, to, between them. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and then it is a little, and then how he dies is really confusing. You know, like his hands get caught, and like I guess they get caught in the thing, and then the the tentacle thing rips his head off. I'm not really sure. It's kind of yeah, yeah. That's how. Yeah, it's very kind of weird. Like. I, yeah. I guess because she was solving the puzzle as this was going on, I think uh, Leviathan was like, all right, I'm taking this back. You know, I'm not using this meat puppet anymore since she's about to close the door on me. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's kind of confusing. Like, but, um, but I mean, everything else in the movie is great. You know what I mean? That's like really my only complaint with the second one where I, I don't feel like it's as strong as the first one because because there's like stuff like that to have, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, like uh, that, just because I always found it kind of like confused. Like it's like she like holds up the picture to them and is like, "Remember, you're human." And I feel like, like in a way, that's supposed to be the weakening thing with them, right? Right. You know, it's just kind of like uh, kind of awkward for me, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I totally get it. Like, because you don't, especially from the first film, you don't see Pinhead as something that's like, oh, you know, easily beaten. You know, yeah. he's the fucking priest, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, he seems like he should be a lot tougher than that, you know? And he, like, dies in, like, two seconds from, from this, like, doctor guy, you know? I mean, I guess, I guess, I mean, at the same time, uh, the doctor guy is able to shoot, like, fucking, like, weird, like, these, like, snake things out of, or warm things that turn into like you know weapons out of his hands so i guess it is kind of probably pretty hard to beat him <laughs> yeah especially if it is leviathan controlling him and stuff leviathan's like the, the ruler of that whole world supposedly so yeah it's it's kind of weird I, I wish there was a little bit more explanation with what's going on there i had no idea that it was supposed to be Levi- leviathan to be honest I'm not 100% on that, but I'm at least 90% on that from my research. I'm trying to, you know, when I was figuring out what the fuck Leviathan is, it's like, is that giant? Is it the giant thing that looks like with the light circling around it and stuff? I'm like, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it was, like the embodiment of Leviathan, like controlled that fellow. But I'm not 100% on that. So if you find anything different, let me know because I would like to know for sure. You know? Well, um, it might make sense with um with the tentacle thing coming down on his head. Like, oh, maybe he just got turned into a normal Cenobite and then the tentacle thing came down and I was like, all right, we're going to 
puppet you around. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And that's where I totally think that's where the Leviathan comes in. Cause at first, you know, he was made into a regular old Cenobite and stuff. They did their thing with that. And he was like, fuck this. I'm taking control of this guy. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I wonder if what, what that actually makes a lot more sense now. Like I, I've always been like infuriated by that whole stuff in, in the movie, but mm-hmm. knowing that like actually like makes it a lot, make a lot more sense because I feel like what he's trying to do is trying to, Leviathan's trying to enter into our world. Yeah. Yeah. So, you see like like they're that's kind of what's happening like like he's he literally killed all those people like they're in the 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 hospital you know what i mean yeah like it's on it's like taking like they're like kind of like seeping into our world basically you know and he literally killed all those people you know so maybe it makes more makes a lot more sense that that maybe leviathan's like puppeteering him to try to try to get a foothold in our world basically you know what i mean and yeah, Both like an actual like like a presence, like is it just a meat puppet to get in there and get his way in and you know, go and turn everything into that other world, I guess. Yeah, maybe there's something like that going on. It's interesting. Yeah, I I love it. I like I, said, I love seeing uh, you know, some of their world, like you know, the way it was done and stuff is really good and holds up really well. Like all the different squares and maze looking areas and stuff are probably different dimensions and everything you know it's like almost endless yeah i would agree the uh, uh and it's funny i was thinking about uh this like based off of like um escher you know the artist um mm-hmm. escher yeah and i was thinking about how many movies came out around the same time that like i mean they i know that and was it dream child they used mc escher stuff mm-hmm. and love labyrinth you know they used this same like uh escher you know like with like all the stairways going everywhere and you know mm-hmm. it's really interesting it's, it's like all these movies right at the same time in the late 80s were all like making use of this uh this kind of mc escher like type of locations it's kind of funny yeah i guess it was a trend back then <laughs> yeah i mean i think it, well or it was just like they're all all the people making them were inspired by that same thing you know i think that was part of it and they're all dealing with like dream worlds you know yeah so i guess it makes sense i mean uh it's definitely very like got that that aspect and definitely the 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 nightmare world is like a labyrinth and earlier in the movie you see a lot of references to the lab to labyrinths and to the mind being like a labyrinth you know Mm -hmm. and uh and so it's like at the heart of the labyrinth is this leviathan like being like god you know right yeah totally I, i like i like all that kind of stuff going on in this movie yeah, same here. Makes you think, that's for sure. Yeah. The um yeah, definitely like the best I think the best special effects moments in this one is is the part where Julia comes back to life. And then uh I'm not sure what like there's not it's not quite I think that's like the real big show that special effects like showstopper in terms of like practical effects, right? Yeah, I would say so. It's the whole Julia coming out the bed thing. I think that's probably like the top, like, you know, big thing for this film that I can remember. Yeah. But, um, like, what what would you give this movie on a uh, one to five? Well, with this one, too, I'm giving it a five. Like, I put it right up there with one because it's like a, you know, straight continuation. So I almost look at number one and, you know, two as like one giant film. Right. So I, I, I give them both a five. 
Yeah, this one I give a little bit lower because I don't like it as much as the first one, to be honest. Right. Mainly because of the ending, as like just like uh, the ending, like last 10, 15 minutes kind of has annoyed me <laughs> over the years, you know? <laughs> right. So I'm going to give this one probably, I would say, I think, I think, I, I think I'm going to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to say it. I think I'll probably give this one a 4.5 just because it's okay. not quite as good as the first one. I don't think. Right. You still know? very fair rating, you know, still very high. Yeah. It's still a real good movie. You know, I, yeah. I, I think that, uh, yeah, it's like for me, it's like a four or four point five type of movie, you know. Yeah. So, it's not it's not as as great as the first one for me, but uh, but it's definitely a good one, you know. Agreed. Um, and so yeah, then we get into Hellraiser three, which actually didn't come out until I think the nineties. I think yeah, it was nineteen ninety two. Ninety two, yeah. yeah. I think there was like a development hell between eighty eight and ninety two, you know. Yeah, and um, I um, I think that this one again, uh, Clyde Barker had a hand in the uh, in the, the concept of the movie and a lot of some of the um the ideas uh going on in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually stepped in and and did some like pickup directing for it as well, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. At the at the end, they added certain things uh, that he that he added in it, so. Um, this one um, basically kind of picks up again where the, the last one left off. I feel like these first four are all pick up where the last one left off, don't you? Yeah, it's kind of like, like a yeah, definitely. Yeah, like there, there's a direct line of continuation between all four. And yeah, because so, in this one, the homeless guys in the first scene that was in the last scene of the other film, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and and well, I guess I forgot to say at the end of two. What ends up happening is out of that bed that Julia was in comes this like big like statue thing. Yeah, that's like, it. The statue thing. That's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah, not that honestly. has like the the faces of like the the um, cenobites. And so basically, mm-hmm. I think we're being told that it didn't actually kill the cenobites. You know, we'll find out what happened. You know, as the movie mm-hmm. goes, this one goes on. So the so he didn't actually kill them at the end. But uh, but it's almost like they got sent into our world basically on in the statue thing, right? So and that's the continuing link between two and three. So in three, we uh, meets this guy who owns like a nightclub slash venue, which uh, later on we'll see has uh, Armored Saint playing in it <laughs> with John. Yeah, Bush. yeah, that's a great scene. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he he goes and he he meets the 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 homeless guy from one and two. And uh, and this homeless guy sells him the set of the box. He sells him the statue because I guess this this uh, guy collects like weird art, you know. Right. Um, and so yeah, this movie basically has um, uh, the other main character really is this journalist who's trying to find like the the, the story that'll crack her career or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, she kind of gets turned on to the uh basically that something weird is going on in in this uh in this club or whatever uh like uh and that's one thing i i mean i just watched it last night i was a little bit confused like mm-hmm. what was going on there but it you know whatever somehow yep yeah, the uh she find, finds out that something's going on she goes to start 
investigating. And as she's investigating, basically the a guy accidentally gets his blood all over it, kind of like in the first one where he gets the blood on the on the on the floor, gets his blood mm-hmm. all over the statue. And then well, a little bit a little bit later, uh he like is banging this chick and then she gets too close to the statue, like when she's yelling at him, and then all these chains come out and Pinhead statue comes to life. <laughs> right. And that part is so like fucking crazy. Like he like sucks her basically like, sucks her into the fucking statue. Like <laughs> Yeah, pulls her skin off with his uh chains and sucks her in, man. And it looks yeah. really cool, especially for its time. Yeah, that scene is fucking really cool. And uh and the pinhead comes to life. And so at this part of it, he's trapped in the statue, basically, with just his head moving. And he's basically seducing this guy to help him, you know. And mm-hmm. I, that's I love see the my favorite thing about this movie is Pinhead and like the dialogue that he gets to say is so great throughout it. And Br- Doug Bradley is just like amazing as Pinhead in this movie, you know? Yeah, this is like his uh, kind of Freddy Krueger after first nightmare on Elm Street type thing going on where, you know, Doug Bradley is a lot more talkative and he's got these like crazy catchphrases going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And above all, he just has these really interesting lines of dialogue and stuff. And this continues on in the fourth one as well, where there's just these parts where he's just saying these like really incredible lines about like these philosophical type of lines. And he's like, uh, he is actually very convincing, like in some ways, like he like convinces the guy into to like helping him out, basically, you know, seduces Mm -hmm. him over, basically. So you're seeing kind of uh yeah i like it because you're just seeing more of pinhead than like we've kind of seen touches of this in the last two but and maybe particularly in one but this one we're really seeing like what you know i think maybe we're just getting to see more of pinhead and the, the the way he you know he talks and everything i love it and right uh, yeah so basically uh later on the um the guy himself gets uh, pinhead eats the guy and <laughs> and uh, becomes out of the statue. Um, the chick is like finding all this stuff. Like she uh, manages to find information about the the institute and the stuff that happened in the first movie, in, in the last movie, in the second movie, and uh, finds tapes of Kirsty that they made for this one. Mm-hmm. And um, and then. Uh, essentially and she has one the, the puzzle box like she ends up getting a puzzle box herself mm-hmm. um pinhead or gets basically kills everybody in this fucking club within one in a really cool like scene i think i love that part. Yeah, a great scene it might be my favorite scene man people are just yeah. like fucking mutating and fucking killing each other and this bunch of craziness is going on i love it and apparently it was even supposed to be even more brutal like, but they, they ended up cutting a bunch of stuff, but Cl- Clyde Barker wanted it, actually wanted it to be like even more brutal. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I love that. It, it kills all these people. Um, but then the, 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 what do you call it? The, um, a fucking, um, the human side of, of Pinhead, uh, basically comes to her in a dream and tells her to bring, pinhead into there so they can become one again essentially right otherwise like pinhead's gonna like have hell on earth or whatever and then and then in the end she confronts pinhead and and bring they go into into her dream somehow 
through the box and that happens and then she escapes you know and then the box uh she puts the box in the foundation of this building and then turns out at the end of this one that the building uh looks like the box you know on the inside which will come up right. in the next movie you know so that's kind of like a real basic outline of it and um yeah like i'll fucking i love the the club scene I, that club is crazy because i think it's funny that i've always found it funny watching movie that you got like this heavy metal like the ultimate heavy metal club you know mm-hmm. all these people and there's bands and then like right next to it there's also this like really fancy like like dinner <laughs> you know <laughs> right i was always and there's a goth club there. too on there too i think there's like three clubs there yeah like the first like, one she walks is like a goth club there you know yeah yeah that's right there's like a goth club and then you walk back and then there's like this heavy metal venue and then there's like this like real fancy like dinner play dinner place it's all owned by the fucking douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, big douchebag. Yeah, he's he is a big douchebag, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Plays that part very well. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and uh he definitely pulls it off and yeah, I mean the uh this is the one yeah, we get some different centibites in this one. Uh, like later on how Pinhead turns um a number of the characters into different centibites. Mm-hmm. And he even says in it that, oh, these are not like, he's almost saying like, because he's on earth, he can't make his, you know, they're almost not even like the best work that he could do. Right. Uh, which I think is funny that he says that, but it makes sense because in a way they are kind of like crude because it's like one guy shoots CDs, you know? <laughs> yeah. I thought I was always cool as hell. <laughs> yeah. He's like shooting C- CDs at people. And then you got the, um, the guy, the bartender one, like shooting flame, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and then the cameraman. The cameraman guy, yeah. And uh yeah, and they're, so they're a little bit different from the ones we saw. Uh but um I know a lot of people don't like them, but I I mean, I don't think they're as good as the first ones from the first two, but I think they're kind of fun, you know, I like them. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I think they're fun and uh they remind me a lot of the Borg from uh Star Trek. Yeah, they definitely got more of a Borg vibe, yeah. And that mm-hmm. you you also have like the 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 one chick who is like a runaway that that brings the box to to the main lady, she turns into a centibite, and then the the other guy, the uh, the the asshole guy, turns into one with like a weird drill thing on his head. That's pretty crazy looking. Yeah, uh, special effects for this one, like in pretty much all the first four Hellraiser movies, are like superb, really killer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this one has some really great special effects overall. I think and. Yeah, the scene where he rips her face skin off and sucks her into the statue is great. And uh, yeah, the, I love the statue. I think it's really cool. And the um, I, yeah, I think this I think this movie is very underrated. Personally, I think a lot of people mm-hmm. shit on it. And the fourth one, and I think they're both really good. Oh yeah, totally. You know, like like I mean, is it as good as maybe the the first one? Probably not uh, in some ways. You know. But um, I still I, I like them. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're a lot. They're they're more fun, I guess. You know, they're not so s- super serious. They're kind of like you know a bit more fun and kind of just crazy off the wall type shit. Yeah, particularly in this one, like probably out of the first four. I mean, I I probably actually like Bloodlines a little bit more than this one, which we'll get to in the next. You know, we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. But uh. So that's probably my least favorite out of the first four, but it's still like I still love it. You know what I mean? Like I could watch the same night and like and have fun. You know what I mean? 
Oh, yeah, I'm on the same boat with you on that. This is my least favorite out of the four, but it's still fucking really good. Yeah, like, um, I think that, yeah, it doesn't necessarily um, have the same impact as the first two, but there's still a lot in here to it that there's a lot of interesting ideas going on at the same time. Uh, there's a lot of the i like the idea of this this kind of pure evil like pinhead you know uh that is just like wants to basically like take over the world it seems like you know (laughs) yeah it definitely does and his his like power level has increased since the first two films too like he seems to have more like you know power overall once he gets freed from the statue yeah and i feel like I mean, just judging my what the little of Scarlet Gospels I've read so far, this seems to be pretty much like also like what Clyde Barker saw for the, for the you know Pinhead as like a very almost like a so super powerful like he's like su- like you know what I mean? Oh yeah, you're definitely as you read more in the Scarlet Gospel, dude, you're gonna see a giant power increase. You'll be like, holy shit, it's gonna it just gets fucking nuts at the end. Like who he fights against, and yeah, I'm not gonna give anything away, but yeah, Pinhead goes a uh, like a, a super saiyan you know what i mean like he is like right. crazy. yeah it's like a superman version of pinhead well i feel like that's kind of like you can see that 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 conception of pinhead taking shape in this one you know yeah he um, wants to be the ultimate evil the, the main fucking guy you know yeah and i love that i mean i like i like seeing pinhead just fucking evil you know that's great and i mean i like <laughs> but it's funny because i it's like i just i like pinhead and i love like when he says these like inhuman like horrible things you know <laughs> like right like there's a hum secret humming at the center of every creation of like razors hitting flesh and he's like i'm here to turn up the volume or whatever you know <laughs> yeah. i love that i love these these lines they give him yeah doug bradley's performance is always great yeah he's like he's great the um yeah i, I would say that overall i mean for me i mean all for the first four are pretty consistent with my with my ratings because I mean I would say that I would probably give this one maybe I mean I'd probably give it four as well. I mean I think they're all gonna be pretty similar. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm on the same boat with you on that. I give this one a four out of five. Yeah, I, I just I think I don't really have like I can't I watched last night just last night and I, I mean I can't really complain about anything I mean yeah like maybe every once in a while some of the the kind of more digital special effects don't quite work or maybe here and there the acting's a little bit silly but overall like I feel like it's just a good movie you know I like it and the same with all these Hellraiser films there's I know they're coming out with the new Hellraiser we can talk about after we get these through but like the feeling you get from these older films, like you never see that in these newer films. Like, I don't, you know, that this was like a time capsule, you know? Yeah, exactly. And this one, I have a, have a real sentimental part too, because it was the first one I saw. And I, you know, I really distinctly remember the, the statue and pinhead coming out of it and everything. And uh, I just think it's great. And, um, and yeah, I definitely think this one's underrated. And I really think the bloodlines is underrated. Like the next one. Oh like, yeah. He, like and it's funny with bloodlines is that um again it's the last one that Clyde Barker had a big hand in like with the story and everything and you can tell like you can see his his input in it oh yeah and and um like with bloodlines I think that um 
it's funny because the critical reception is like 15% or something, right? Like terrible. But like the audience is like the people who watch it, it's like 85% or like 4.5 on fucking Amazon. You know, people like this movie. It's just the the critics like shed on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, and I will say that there are it has its flaws. Like the thing with Bloodlines is it it there was a lot of studio meddling at the end, like with like recutting it and everything. Right. Yeah. And, there then, was um, and so like the director of this one was um what's his name uh Ye- Jaeger um oh Thomas Jaeger I believe oh hold on uh, Sorry, no, jo- Josh Jaeger I think yeah yeah Kevin Jaeger Kevin Jaeger that's his name so yeah. Kevin Jaeger was like the guy who made who made the the Crypt Keeper from Tales from the Crypt yeah special you know? effects guy yeah he's a special effects guy and you can tell because this movie has amazing special effects like oh yeah I, and um. It was, I think, he had he had also been the director of all the the Crypt Keeper sections and stuff, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he, yeah, I definitely think like all the practical effects in this one was great. And um, but that he, I guess he said that there was actually a whole section of the movie that they filmed that the studio just cut out completely. Yeah, yeah, like, I think it was the ending. I think or they cut out and had to replace it with something else. I think uh, what they had um, they had a middle section that was set in like Victorian uh, times or something. Uh huh. The whole plot line, like, middle plot line that they cut out, and yeah, they messed with the ending and stuff. So, uh, but even though it does suffer from from that problem of like the studio like kind of messing with the editing of this movie, I still think that it's it's like great and like I like the ambition of it because this one basically takes us to. Uh, I mean, the the opening and closing wrapping is like up in space, and it's like yeah. it turns out you got the um, so in the future you got the descendant of the guy who created the original puzzle box, yeah, has taken over the space station, yeah, and he um he fucking uh he has he's obviously got this plan of opening a puzzle box and trying to trap the uh Cenobites here and kill them or something after like revenge. Yeah. Um, and we basically end up going back in time. We get to the, my favorite part of this movie is like, I love it so much is the whole section in, um, in 18th century France. Like, where oh, we see yeah, that's good. so fucking cool. And I think I love it because a, you can tell this is totally Clive Barker, like coming through this idea of let's go back to this time period. We got that era of like the Marquis de Sade and everything. I've always found that time period really fascinating of like, you know, these really decadent fucking like uh, French aristocrats getting up to black magic and everything. You know what I mean? Right. And like the magician character that's in this and like he looks like a fucking Cenobite, you know? Yeah, exactly. He's so sinister. And and yeah, you basically see that they and the whole part it's like they kill this this prostitute and the whole part where they skin her is, is like literally makes you like disgusting. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so great. And, and on top and, of that, that whole table of food's nothing but fucking rotted food with worms and shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Uh, it's like the whole, like the whole section is so great. And then they basically summon a, de- they skin this, this, this woman, they hang the skin over like a rich circle and this demon comes through. And after basically they bring the, the help, the box, basically t- the guy brings the box to them. They mm-hmm. use the box, open up, hell and bring like a demon through that that takes flesh you know and this mm-hmm. the skin 
that they had taken off this prostitute, and uh, that is Angelique. Yes. And I, which she's she's so like such a cool. Like, I love like evil like demon ladies, and she's great. Yeah, she plays that part very well. Like, yeah, super cool. It's great character. Yeah, I love, I love her character. And uh, basically, in the end, like uh, Lamashan's, uh, he um, he gets killed by Angelique, and uh, and then yeah, they're supposed to be, I guess, in this section, like uh, a part that you know would have taken us to like the Victorian age, and then but as it is, we go straight to like the nineties, you know. Mm-hmm. And basically, this and this is where the ending of three comes in. It's the uh, Ramashan's like uh, the, um, uh, this descendant is the architect of the building that we saw that has all the the uh, the stuff with the box on it, you know. Right. And uh, basically, uh, Angelique sees him on TV and comes to the place and is like trying to seduce him um he's married has a kid obviously and uh essentially uh i forget what how oh yeah she she had gets the box out of the basement and has some guy like nate she strips some guy naked and has him open the box in a really cool scene yeah there's a seinfeld connection right there that guy she had stripped naked was a guest on seinfeld there's two people in here that are on seinfeld i've been noticing that with a lot of horror movies i watch twin peaks you name it there's always a Seinfeld connection yeah it's really strange (laughs) makes sense i mean they're all working at the time and yeah so yeah this this guy gets dragged off like by chains and and uh hellraiser comes and so he's hanging out with angelique and and he sees this this uh you know, and we get a lot of really great lines from Doug Bradley, and we he sees that this building is is made of all the puzzle blocks. He realizes this whole bo- building is like basically a big puzzle box, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they basically kidnap the guy's kids and a kid and wife and kid, and try to force him to uh, open the box of, of the building. But uh, he instead tries to do this thing that he had, that's supposed to like destroy them, and uh, instead he gets killed. And his wife sends him back. And then we jump forward and we're back into the future. And turns out, yeah, he's turned this whole space station, done the same thing, but in space, essentially. Yep. And uh, and uh, that's how it kind of comes to an end. We get to see uh, Angelique as a Cenobite, which is cool. Yeah, she looks pretty badass. And um, and yeah, and then they, they blow up the space station. But, you know, I'm sure that... It's a, I, I would say that if Pinhead is actually killed at the end of this, you know, uh, this series, series, it would be a good, you know, it's a good. You have these four movies that are all connected, and they culminate with this kind of death of Pinhead at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah, it would have shut it tight, you know. And originally, that was supposed to be the last movie that's supposed to end everything, you know. But uh, it resurrected, you know, the Hellraiser franchise after this again, so and kept on running with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like I said, I think this one has the editing particularly in the middle section the part like in the in the present day mm-hmm. i feel is a little is it just goes too fast like this is a movie that could have been like maybe two hours long you know yeah like this one you really see you see start seeing like yeah clive barker has is like in the middle of writing these longer ambitious novels like the great and secret show and everything in this time you know or he had mm-hmm. already come out with that one or in the magic and stuff like that's what he's in so i feel like this storyline is could almost be like a really amazing uh clive barker novel you know what i mean 
Yeah, or a cool miniseries. If they did a miniseries with this, that way they really stretch things out. That would have been really cool, too. Yeah, like this would be a perfect material for to be expanded into like a mini series. Like it's like just really this history of this kind of um uh you know of, of the the box maker and and his family and their their issues with like the Cenobites and Angelique and everything. Like it's a really cool idea, I think, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I, I just think that maybe in the middle section it it's it gets a little bit like uh the editing is just a little choppy because it's just like going through a little too fast, which is because of the studio, you know. But, yeah, they don't um, really uh, show what happens to the kid and uh, and uh, Bobby, you know, that plays Marshawn's wife and what I guess it would be called the '90s that middle section. You don't really see what happens to them after he dies or anything like that. Yeah, I think she just like uses the box to send Pinhead back. It seems like that's what it's going on, and then and then you don't really see what happens. Yeah, it just kind of goes. Yeah. You just have to assume that they survive because we have the descendant, you know, like. Yeah, 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 which makes sense because you know the boy lives. So, but you, I, I'm curious to like how the you know what happened after that a little bit would have been nice, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but even with that, I just I it doesn't even though that that is the way it is. It doesn't really. I like like I like watching the movie. I like the ideas that it has, you know, and the, mm-hmm. and I particularly think like the whole section in France is like perfect. Like it's so like really like uh, atmospheric and creepy. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude, that whole setting was fucking creepy as hell. Super dark, you know. Like, so you got the uh, the the magician guy sitting there with the you know giant table, rotted food and stuff, and he just looks sinister as fuck. You know, he looks like he's a cinnabite, you know, already. Yeah. So very creepy. And another little fact there: the the one guy, the uh, guy that played uh, Jacques, I believe, is Adam Scott, who's played on Parks and Rec, which is nuts. Like, this guy was on Parks and Rec playing a comedian. He's been a comedian ever since, but it's, like, one of his first, like, roles where he's not a comedian. I don't know if you know who that is, but, yeah. It's, like, weird to see him in that position. Like, oh, wait, that's the dude from Parks and Rec. (laughs) Yeah, he's, like, like bad bad guy. (laughs) Right, yeah, he played a fucking awesome role, too. Yeah, I mean, I would have loved to see him, like, if we if you were to go back and make this a mini series, I would have loved to seen like uh their experiences. I mean, two hundred years of of Angelique and this magician guy like wandering around in France or whatever. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, that'd have been awesome, man. This would have been perfect for HBO even back in that day. Like that'd have been prime HBO stuff. Yeah, definitely. Is I mean that's not really a big complaint. Like the idea that my only complaint with this is that I wish that it was longer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, same. It just means that that what's there is, I think, really like uh, good, and I really I hate how much people just dismiss this movie. I think you know. Yeah, I think they're crazy for dismissing this one, especially the first five, really, and the first four is strong as being. The fifth one's really good. And, yeah, the fifth know, one was good. I just yeah. decided not to cover it because I want. I just figured to do these this first like four, you know, like. Yeah. But yeah, five, um, Inferno, is also really good, and that one. That one really reminds me of um that one really does have like the Silent Hill Jacob's Ladder type of vibe in it, you know? Yeah, and like mixed with like a, a detective noir type, you know, film like you know what I mean? Like it has yeah. that feel to it. Yeah, and I, I like that one, like it's like this detective noir where he's kind of like it's like in this Hellraiser hell. Like it's basically kind of like he's in his like little like like section of of Leviathan, you know, and the labyrinth like going through his his hell over and over again. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, that one's a good one. And yeah, I think the, um, the and like I said, uh, 
uh, Kevin Yeager is a fucking special effects master. I mean, he's the guy who did like Freddy's makeup and a lot of the special effects in uh, Freddy two and three. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't. I can't remember if he did four and five, but he definitely did two and three. I remember. And, yeah, he's done a ton of stuff. Tells from the Crib, Demon Knight. He was on that. Yeah. Um, so for that, Sleepy Hollow, Face Off, Chucky, Trick or Treat. <laughs> he was an actor in that. Those folks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's he had, like you know if Tells and Crypt, you had him and Todd Masters on Demon Knight. Like I mean, the combination was like uh, special effects gold. You know, like and uh, you can tell because I think all the practical effects and and bloodlines are like really good. You know. Oh yeah, they're top notch for sure. And uh, yeah, I, I just think it's a, uh, and I don't mind it being in space either. It doesn't really bother me at all. It makes sense. No, I, I like it. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's not like Leprechaun in space, which I do like, but you know that doesn't make much sense at all. <laughs> yeah, but, it's yeah. not like it's not like Jason in space or Leprechaun in space yeah. or something. It's like actually makes not sense cheesy. It's yeah, it's not cheesy. You know, it's just like okay, this makes sense. It's, you know, this can work out pretty good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, for me, this one is probably a, a 4.5 because I, I just really like it a lot. Yeah, I agree with you on that. That's a 4.5 for me as well. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, I feel like we both are kind of like, it's like all the Hellraiser movies, all the first five are, you know, between four and five, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, those are the best. Those are definitely the best. Yeah, I mean, Hellraiser 7, uh, Whatever that one's called. Uh, 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 was that the Hell World one? No, or that's like, a Hell 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 Seeker. Hell Seeker, yeah. That one's like, I mean, it brings Kirsty back, but that one, like the the original screenplay, wasn't even a Hellraiser screenplay. So they just right. kind of changed some names, and and it doesn't make any sense. Like that movie is incredibly hard to follow. You know? Yeah, yeah. I remember when they I heard about that. Like, yeah, this we're just gonna put the Hellraiser title on here. It's not really a Hellraiser movie. We'll throw Pinhead in there though, you know. People know who Pinhead is. <laughs> yeah, it's like they, they took another script and they just put Kirsty's name in it, you know, <laughs> and and added some uh uh elements from Hellraiser and then yeah, it's it's not which is what remember Mike had that idea about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie that they made last uh that came out this year. Yeah, yeah. That it was like that, like they just made it. They took another movie and just like kind of put Leatherface in it, and like. <laughs> yeah, that definitely feels like that. You know, yeah, definitely feels like that. Um, and that's just, this, yeah, like it, it drops off. Like I would give Inferno like probably a four. You know, I like that one a lot. Yeah, but, same here. But then after, yeah, Bloodline drops or not Blood, but Hellseeker drops off. Like I mean, I have to revisit it, but I remember like just like not even really understanding what was going on in the movie. You know, it's so yeah, complicated. It's really and then the one with the uh, CGI looking pinhead. That I've never even watched that. I'm not. I'm not going to watch it. I never will watch it. You know. You know what I'm talking about, right? I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It's that, the one I think after Hellseeker. It's the one is that the, the CGI. Hell, Hell Worlds or whatever? Like where it's an yeah. internet one? No, it's not that one. I think it's the one after that one. Um, let's it's, see. One after it. No, uh, I'm going to look up there. the series because I mean I I stopped watching after Hellseeker, so it's been a minute. Um. I know that, yeah, so we got Hellseeker, uh, we got Hellraiser Deader. I think it's Deader. I think, I'm not sure. Is, is Doug Bradley Penhead in that one? If he's not, then that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, he's in he's in Deader and he's in Hellworld. And then, okay, so it's whatever's after those ones. There's another one that came out that's probably, I think it came out in the 2000s. 
Yeah, there's one that came out in 2011 that is called Hellraiser Revelations, which has like a different pinhead. Uh-huh. I heard is like terrible. And then there's another one that came out in 2018 that has yet another pinhead called Hellraiser Judgment, which uh, apparently from reviews I've seen is actually seems to be better. And it has Heather Langenkamp as well in it. So, yeah, I've seen that one. That one's not bad. It's not great. It's nothing compared to the first five. But uh, the one before that one, uh, the Revelations or whatever, I think you said, that's the one I, I won't watch. Yeah. It's because looks so damn awful, man. I'm, like, I'm not going to waste my time on that. And the only reason I watched the very last one that uh, in, that just came out recently, the 2018 one or 2016, whatever, um, is just because it was free on like Voodoo or something. I was like, all right, fuck it. Let me see what this is about, you know. Right. It wasn't bad. It was very low budget, you know, for a Hellraiser film. Usually they got a decent budget to it, but. For what it was, it wasn't bad. But, you know, it's not that I would really watch again. Right. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I tapped out after Hellseeker. I, I should probably go and check out Deader and Hellworld. But when I heard about the Hellworld one, which is like, it's like internet. Yeah, yeah. Stuff, I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, it's not very, it, it catches on that a whole like late 90s type horror shit that was going on, which I really didn't like too much with like, you know, teen drama type shit, almost sort of, you know, like I'm good. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of too bad that it went that way. I mean, after, you know, after Inferno, but like, I mean, it is kind of annoying. Like we could have, they could have actually invested. People would have watched. I think the problem was like after Inferno, they were like, you know, we can just make these kind of these movies and just like, people will watch it just to see it once. You know what I mean? Like they're kind of banking on it. They weren't making it like to be a good movie. You know what I mean? I don't feel like. <laughs> no, it was like, Hey, we know they're going to watch this. Cause you know, this is a, a title people know is Hellraiser. So we know people are going to at least watch it once. So. Yeah. And, uh, it's too bad. I mean, I, I, I feel like we could have had some more like good ones with, with Doug Bradley. And I, you know, I would have liked to have seen, seen some more like good ones, like, but, um, I do think that the other problem is that at the time and that era was also the time of like too much CGI and horror movies and stuff. Yeah, that was a time period for sure. Like you're relying too much on that. And, you know, it was kind of like taking cues from uh, those not not really the screen films. It's like it was kind of the screen films and kind of the uh, what I know what you did last summer type shit that was going on too. like that was starting that whole era of those type of films which I right. don't really care for too much. I do like the screen films for the most part, but, you know, they got so repetitive with all those type of films that took that formula from Scream and, you know, make their own shit. I just, that wasn't a very good time in horror for me. No, I, yeah, I was, I didn't, the late nineties, I mean, with the late, that kind of late nineties, early two thousands before we got the kind of revival of horror and, yeah. uh, you know, like you know, with all the stuff in the like when the French ex- extreme came out in the late late two thousand, you know, like yeah, uh, I think that yeah, it was we had some good movies. Like you had like I liked that House on Haunted Hill movie that they made. Oh in yeah, 89. great. Yeah, the remake was fucking killer. Yeah, yeah, like I love that one. You know, you had like um, the remake of Dawn of the Dead that was great. You know, yeah. Thirteen Ghosts. 13 ghosts yeah i mean you had you had like some good ones coming out in the late 90s early 2000s but uh yeah i think about the time when uh the the um 
uh, Dawn of the Dead remake came out. That was kind of when horror started kicking back into gear, like just around then when that one and 20 Days Later came out and stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, most definitely. That whole period of uh, the teen who killed who drama type shit was dying out. And, you know, yeah. you know, better horror was coming out for sure. Yeah, those those teen who killed who ones are just not for me. And <laughs> yeah. that's, that's one thing I like about Hellraiser is that uh, it's not that, you know, it's not even no. the teenage type of thing. Like people a lot of times seem to um, get confused and, and put like Pinhead and the Hellraiser series in the same vein as like the slashers. No, and definitely not. No. They're not. Yeah, they have nothing to do with that. I mean, uh, I mean, I love the slasher movies. I love Freddy, and I love like the Jason movies and stuff. But yeah, same here. They have nothing to do with each other, really. I mean, Freddy maybe a little bit with like the other, other like the Dream World stuff. Maybe is the closest. Mm-hmm. But uh, but reality is, but it's still nothing. Nothing like you know, they're not. It's not the same thing. Hellraiser is a more adult type of horror in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're more like mystery thriller type stuff, you know, horror as well. But yeah, t- two different animals there for sure. Yeah, yeah, you get you're getting into the, the body horror thriller type of elements of, of Barker, and I do like how the the series as it grows and develops, you you start it kind of goes in the same direction as Barker's, like where by the time you get the blood bloodline, you're kind of expanding the uh, the whole thing. And I wish that they had continued with that. Uh, you know, and maybe develop it even further because, uh, you know, but I think the the problem was like, particularly with the way that they, the studio fucked everybody with Bloodline. I think that was like kind of the end for Barker in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely. I think he had a little bit of part in Inferno, but he didn't really have the, the direct like creative impact influence. You know, he wasn't one part of the story creating and everything like he was a Bloodline. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, it's too bad. I mean, I just don't understand why studios feel this need to to interfere with the people that they hire to create their movies. You know, it's just every time studios do that, they fuck it up. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they haven't learned their lesson, you know? <laughs> yeah, they just need to do their job and let the director and the writers do their job, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's just every time that the studios try to jump in and like fuck with stuff, it's just like they always fuck it up. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever read the comic books? Yeah, I have. Um, there's a shit. I have a shit ton of them, but um, yeah, their their artwork's great. Like, they're really fucking cool. And then there's a bunch of like side stories away from the comics that people write, like kind of almost Hellraiser fan fiction almost. But it's all like published shit. You know, it's pretty interesting. Like the mythology and stuff of it. Yeah, I heard that there was. Um, I had read that there was like what a uh, kind of prequel to the Scarlet Gospels as written by a. Uh, another author that Clyde Barker like signed off on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. Yeah. The, um, I have some issues of the boom, uh, ones I've heard that I think there's like both the boom comics. And then there was also yeah. the Marvel ones, I think as well. I have the boom ones. I don't have any of them. I might have a few of the Marvel ones. I know there was a, I think some of the, uh, Nightbreed comics from Marvel. Cause there was a whole comic series, you know, the Cabal and Nightbreed and stuff like that. I think Marvel did some of those. They probably okay. did some Hellraiser too. From you know, I'm not 100, but I know Boom. I have a bunch of those. Yeah, some of those. Those are great, and uh, like the ones I've read. Like I found a bunch of issues for like a dollar a piece at a store one time. Yeah, I think that's how we found them too. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, man, I need to, I need to get these these trades of trade paperbacks of these if they exist. You know, they're pretty cool. I got the whole collection of the Great Secret Show uh, graphic novels, which are fucking awesome. My wife got them for me for. 
Uh, I think it was a birthday years ago and stuff. I don't even take him out to rapper anymore though. So <laughs> right, yeah, you gotta keep it safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are precious. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of Hellraiser. I found out there's a book, uh, I forget what it's called off the top of my head, but I ordered it. It's about um it's like it goes through each one of the movies and mm-hmm. um and uh talks about like the move the whole production of the movies and then kind of gives like an analysis of each one okay i'm pretty excited to pick that up i'm like forgetting the name of it off the top of my head it's like um for me uh just look it up real quick because uh i think uh, i think people will be interested yeah it's called hellraiser films and their legacy by paul kane oh cool i definitely recommend checking that out it's like only like 25 dollars on amazon so it's pretty cheap oh that is pretty cheap yeah yeah, but uh, I've read some excerpts from it. It sounds really cool. So I, I uh, definitely recommend checking out. I'm gonna, I'm looking forward to reading that one because doing this episode and revisiting the movies, which because I, I hadn't really watched them in a little while, mm-hmm. just like kicked off my fucking obsession with Hellraiser and like Clyde Barker and stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, Clyde Barker is an ongoing obsession for me. I have artwork from his that I haven't even taken out the box. I pay way too much money for it. I don't even want to touch it because it's like signed and uh, oh, wow. numbered and everything. And I'm like, uh, it's up in the closet. I'm like, I hope it's in great condition because in like a couple boxes and stuff, like I hope it's still good. Like yeah. Clyde Barker, man, like he's the ultimate to me. Like I've always wanted to uh, interview him. We, um, my band, I, I think I shared it with you before. We did a whole concept um, album and stuff that was uh, dedicated to Clyde Barker or, or around Clyde Barker's work, like the Great Secret Show, mostly and stuff. And um, I've been trying to get him to hear that record for years now, but you know he's not really on social media, <laughs> so hard yeah. to get in contact with Clyde Barker. I've tried, I've had no success. So yeah, I don't know how you get a hold of him. I mean, uh, I mean, Mick Garris got him on, but uh, I mean, I was looking up like trying to see inter- interviews of Clyde Barker that are newer and he doesn't really do interviews at all as it looks no. like you know <laughs> and him and Mick are good friends and they're working on a project a top secret project that's going to be pretty fucking awesome I don't know when that's going to be out but I don't know if it's even finished yet but I know they're working on something or it could already be done so I'm really looking forward to that yeah definitely anything if Mick Garris and Clyde Barker are doing something together that's going to be sick you know what I mean <laughs> yeah they're, they're freaking demigods to me man the Garris and Clive yeah yeah, like that's pretty exciting. I I, really, I like that interview that uh, he did with Mike on um, postmortem. Who's that? I I, I loved the interview that Clyde Barker did with Mick on uh, postmortem. Oh well. yeah, that was one of that was one of the best interviews I've ever heard. Like from any podcast I listened to, I was like, holy yeah. shit, it's powerful, man. Yeah, I definitely recommend anybody who who's listening who wants to uh, to get dig into Clyde Barker some more and go and uh type in uh, Clyde Barker uh, McGarris postmortem and and listen to that interview is great. I mean oh yeah hundred percent postmortem I think is a great um great podcast and and uh McGarris is cool and I mean you had and you had him on your podcast and on uh hell hell on horror wolf six 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 so yeah it was a hell of an honor that's for sure and I was nervous as fuck but I pulled it off luckily so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not, i mean it was a good episode dude and, like it was cool like mick mick seems like real like easy person to talk to so he really is he's one of the nicest dudes ever man and and you know he's done it all which is you know he don't have to be that nice if he didn't want to be you know he is a super genuine super nice 
Yeah, dude, that was cool. I definitely recommend everybody checking that episode out as well and, and checking out your podcast. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I give you, I give, I uh, do shout, shout out every week with along with Mike, uh, Mike's podcast and Jackie's. So, you know, yeah, definitely want everybody to check, check her shit out. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I got to support, man. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, thanks for being on here, dude. Thank you for having me on here, man. This has been really fun talking one of my favorite subjects, Clyde Barker and Hellraiser. So Yeah, I figured I when I got the idea of Hellraiser, I was like the first person I thought I was like, it'd be cool if Brandon did it because I know you love how much you love Barker and Hellraiser. So Yeah, this was perfect, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I uh, maybe uh have you on and again in the future to do something do another horror related subject. So yeah, and same for you. I'm definitely going to have a spot for you on, too. So I'll let you know when that happens. But, yeah, we can definitely do more podcasts together. Cool, dude. That'd be awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. let me know. I mean, I know you do a lot of, like, the, the top tens. Like, Yeah, I like to do top lists and, you know, just random stuff. I want to expand a little bit more and just, you know, sometimes talk about film or something like that, too. Just kind of keep it whatever, you know, what's fun. Yeah, dude. Uh, just let me know. I can, uh, we can figure out a, a cool one to do, I think. Oh yeah, that sounds killer, man. Cool, dude. Well, thanks for being on. Hell yeah, and um, have a good rest of your weekend. You too. Have a good rest of your night and your weekend, and uh, I'll talk to you later, bro. All right, man. Take care. Take care. Yeah. Bye.